Technology and food have to be in the top five passions for any nerd. I'm Chris Riley, tech advocate for Splunk, SweetCode contributor, and bad coder turned dev enthusiast. I sit down to eat with techies to talk about modern technologies, careers in tech, and advancement in development practices. My employer does not own or sponsor this podcast. My thoughts are my own, and no guests were drugged or coerced during the recording. This is Developers Eating the World. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell me about what you do, um, and then we'll talk about we'll talk more. Okay. Um, so yeah, my name is uh, Alicia Dale. I work at a company called Checker that specializes in background checks, and I'm an SRE. So I'm still pretty new to this role, but my primary focus and like what what I'm working on is building up better monitoring um, okay. and more, and, and then eventually to get to proactive monitoring. Right now, as a startup, we're in a place where we went from 100 to about 500 people in the course of a few months. <laughs> so most people are very new. And I feel like what's kind of happened in um, the tooling for monitoring sector is that people have been like, I've used this tool in my previous company. I'm comfortable with it. Right. Let's use it here. And now we're in this position where we have like seven or eight tools for logging and monitoring. Wow. And it's confusing. <laughs> it's not effective. And the monitoring that we even do have set up wasn't set up with much thought behind it. Right. Um, we, we just hired the SRE DevOps team a few months ago. So prior to that, like developers were just doing whatever they had, had wanted to, to, to build. Yeah. Um, well, that's cool. So you're yeah. part of the whole... <laughs> Big change of yeah. things. Yeah. Well, you get to do it the right way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that is interesting, I think, is we use <laughs> a lot of terminology, but don't spend a lot of time thinking about what it actually means. And you just said something that I think is huge, which is the difference between proactive and reactive monitoring. How would you define that? So in my time at my previous company, um, we had done some forecasting and trending actually using Splunk um, in the machine learning toolkit. And I didn't um, tell you to say that, right? No, you did not tell me <laughs> to say that. Um, yeah, so that was like one of my big projects and I was really excited to work on that so that we could um, become more proactive um, as opposed to always being reactive with incident tickets coming in. Um, so I guess, yeah, now we're kind of going back to where I'm coming from a little bit, where we were dealing with like 3,000 incident tickets at a time when I was a DBA. 3,000? 3,000. 3, um, Just in your group? Or? In my group. Like, like there's six people on my team. We had 3,000 incident tickets. Um, at most given times. Whoa. Sometimes it would fluctuate down to like a thousand, but we never, I never ever saw it oh below God. 500. Are they, so, was it, are they all like P1? I mean, well, obviously no, no, no. not P1. It was, it was a lot of, so I guess like this is just a trend I just keep seeing <laughs> with my positions, is that there's just, there tends to be a lot of noise mm -hmm. and um, not a lot of companies want to like step back and like kind of solve that problem so that we can become even more more proactive just being aware of things that are actually problems as opposed to being distracted by all of this noise um so yeah when i was at 
my previous employer, um, we had a lot of incident tickets and 30% of them were for low disk space. And it just seemed like this is something that can be easily measured, forecasted, trended, like why, like for this particular thing, like 30% of our tickets, like why, why is this still a ticket, right? Like shouldn't we be more exactly. proactive about it? Right. And then it just gets lost in the sea of other tickets. Um, and by the time we actually have time to get to it, it could take up to two to three weeks um, to solve the problem because we have to work with other teams, put in a change order, and this is for database systems, so we have to do a failover. Um, so we have to make sure that everything was synchronizing before we made any other changes going right. further. Um, and with large servers with lots of databases, that could take hours just to do the failover. So it's a lot of planning involved for something um, that I feel like we could have been a lot more proactive about more easily because we had the data. We just weren't doing anything with it. Right. It was just sitting there. <clears throat> Do you think coming from an application architecture that was more kind of legacy monolithic and going now into probably more of a modern architecture, I assume, being a startup, that that directly impacts what, like, it's more an issue of what you're able to do now because it's a modern application architecture versus what you were maybe inhibited doing because it was a monolith? So I think it's actually the opposite. <laughs> um, like in the startup, we're more of a, we're a monolith application. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah that was a, that's a wild <laughs> assumption on my part. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're trying to come up with a plan to break out of that mm -hmm. and break it up into microservices, um, but that's still like an in-progress kind of thing. Um, at TransUnion, a lot of things were like broken up much differently okay. um, by um, different services, like m microservices. And then we would deal with those individually. But the back end was still very relational, stateful. Um, yeah, like it was all, like a lot of our um, applications were on-prem as well. Mm. at TransUnion. So it's just it's a completely different shift with the with um, where I'm at now versus where I was. Um, at TransUnion there was a lot of um, on-prem and then um, through VMware and then now everything's AWS. Yeah, right. Uh, there's no there's no physical servers where I'm at now. At TransUnion everything was physical. Nothing was in the cloud. So it, when you solve these problems, it's like completely different problems that you're trying yeah. to solve too. And like the solution's gonna be different too. Like it was like a migration from, you know, this age of servers into this new age of servers, of physical servers. And then where I'm at now, it's like we're, you know, getting more into like auto scaling and like spinning up and down services when we're using them and not using them. And it's just so much more like dynamic. <laughs> yeah. What's crazy, now there there's a relative, I wouldn't call it a huge, uptake in bare metal. But it, it that's also starting again with, um, Packet was just acquired like two days ago. Um, and that's what they do is provisioning of bare metal. And so that's oh. even becoming a thing again. Huh, yeah. That's kind of fun. Okay. <clears throat> um, so are you a part of the DevOps organization? I would say yes. Currently, like where we are, we're so small. 
uh, of a company and the DevOps team in Denver is only two people. Uh, there's two people in SF, two people in Denver, and then um, the SRE team is four people. We just, like, we're still just getting started. Yeah. Um, but we have our stand-ups with the DevOps team um, and we do sprint planning and all that with yeah. the DevOps team. And how would you, so there's a lot of back and forth on the interwebs on the definition of SRE versus DevOps. If they're the same, if they're, they're different, responsibilities, yeah. in my opinion, they're different. Um, I think I have a very distinct definition in my head, but how does it work in your organization for what the DevOps engineers focus on versus what you focus on? So, I think because we're so new, I feel like we're mostly doing very similar things. Um, like I would think like the DevOps would be working more directly with the developers, but the DevOps team has a lot more insight and knowledge into the current infrastructure and how that's set up. So we're definitely leveraging them a lot since the SRE team is very new, like three or four months. That's crazy, that's um, fun. So right now, we're currently working very closely together. Um, I don't know if in time we'll eventually start like kind of shifting into the DevOps team working more closely with actual developers, and then we just kind of handle the um, infrastructure. I know there has been talk about creating a, um, actually a new team just focused solely on computing, so for AWS. Oh. Because um, we just have a lot of work, <laughs> um, and yeah, we're just trying to um, make sure that the like it's like the right people are in the right positions, focusing on uh, issues that we have yeah. at, at the company. So. so before I press record, you said something very interesting, which was that um, you went from a thousand incidents at any given time mm -hmm. to what you said was somewhat rare. Now having yeah. like. So are you, how does on-call work? Are the developers on-call for the code? Are you, is your team on-call? So our team is on-call in conjunction with the DevOps team. Oh, okay. So we kind of, that's how we do our rotation because, because everyone's so new kind of thing. Uh, we don't want to throw the new people in the deep right. end, me. <laughs> so um, yeah, we're, we're in a rotation with the DevOps team for on call and currently it's just like if there's, since we don't have a lot of incidents, a lot of P0s or ones or anything, most of what is in our on call queue are just questions and questions about like infrastructure, like from, from a developer saying like, oh, can I build this out here? Or can you build this for me? Can you build out this S3 bucket? Um, so oh, okay. I think it's something we're, we're still working on. It really wasn't the on-call I was expecting. Right. Um, That's more like ticketing. Yeah. Like yeah, ITSM I, stuff. Also, like everyone's still new. So I think we're yeah. still trying to figure out things and find the best way to answer those questions. But currently our on-call ticket queue is questions about can I build this out or can you build this for me? Or there's this release that's stuck, can you um, uh. help unstuck, uh, un, undo it, yeah. Why do you think you have so few P0, P1 incidents? Um, I think we probably don't have the best monitoring set up as of yet to kick off those errors. Okay. 
Um, so maybe there's some things that are going on underneath that just ha aren't being triggered or tripped off. Okay. Um, so that could be a good reason why. Um, and I guess we're just, we're so small compared to uh, my previous Yeah, employer. you can only do so much and you're yeah. defining the way. Yeah. Do you think you yeah. spend a lot of time on strategy then? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is fun. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, what yeah. would you prefer to do, strategy or firefight? <laughs> uh, strategy. I mean, I feel like it would, um, when you spend more time up front and like step one planning and, and right. all that, like the firefighting becomes much less of an right. issue. Um, yeah, and firefighting is just stressful, and then you get an incident call, and then people blame each other, like, oh, it was this team and that team, and um, it's usually not not that productive, um, especially when you have a lot of them. People are just trying to find an easy way out of the bridge call. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think if you <laughs> spend more time in like the strategy and planning up front, you'll have less of those calls, and then when you do have them, you'll realize, okay, this is actually an issue. What can we do to like make it better yeah. to prevent this from happening? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I see SREs and DevOps engineers spending more and more time on strategy, but also stewardship. Like, how, because you are such a new team, how are you in conjunction with the DevOps engineers kind of demonstrating that value or explaining the value to the developers? Um, or is it just obvious to them? I don't think it's obvious to them. <laughs> um, I think what we're what we're trying to do is like break down silos and like branch out more and like we just are like a book club where we invited oh. some developers to join and we're actually reading this book. What is it? Site Reliability Engineering. Oh, there you go, yeah. Um, <laughs> Great book. So that, right. yeah. <laughs> um, so that a lot of the organization is more in line of like what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to do. Um, because I don't think it is very clear or apparent. Like most people don't know what SRE is and everyone's still pretty new. So they're still focused on like learning what they need to do for their job. Um, so yeah, it'll, it takes some time to like get comfortable in your position and then kind of branch out to other departments and seeing how are they making an impact. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're trying to start with that process with like a book club, um, and just having our meetings more open. Yeah. So. And it sounds like the hiring, is the hiring still going on? Um, it's definitely slowing down. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty crazy. In my hiring onboarding class, there was 50 people. Whoa. Yeah. And like the ones before that were like five or six people or like two people. So, so yeah, it's a huge, Huge change. They definitely hired a lot, and then now we're kind of slowing down so that everyone can get up to speed right. and just you know do their job most effectively. Um, and I think we've kind of outgrown the spaces <laughs> that we have, <laughs> so maybe that's also playing a factor in um, in the hiring as well. Um, but yeah, for for now, it's definitely been slowing down. Yeah, it's good. I mean, the good news about hiring is the people come in without the bad habits. So mm -hmm. everybody can kind of shape, I guess the risk is you could end up with like a net new, brand new culture, um, mm -hmm. which could be good or bad. But that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. In, in the interview process too, they made it very clear that they were focused on culture and like bringing people together and like 
breaking down silos and um, I know, they asked questions about like explain a time when you expressed humility or uh, gratitude towards people or when you like helped with someone on a project but then you really kind of made it seem like like they, they did it all to like kind of bring them up right. um, and just like working with other people and how, how that has gone in the past. So it's definitely very different than other companies and other um, interviews I've had. Yeah. They don't really focus on that. And what's crazy is the, the tactical impact of that kind of fluffy stuff mm. is tremendous, yeah. but it's extremely hard to measure. Yeah. And yeah. for most organizations, if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So for, yes. um, for companies to focus on that is a big deal. Um, the, it's the longevity of maintaining it that is hard. And I think it's like getting that foundation of the culture that really maintains it. Mm -hmm. That's cool. But also like having, like we have a lot of events that just like bring people together from different um, departments. So we just have like happy hours and like for our um, work or end, end of year outing, this one is all Napa Valley. <laughs> And you could sign up for different sessions. You could like build robots with some people nice. or do like a Bob Ross painting class. So like those types of things also really help like building that culture of like reaching out to other people um, in different areas of, of the company. Because typically you wouldn't really have that opportunity. Why do you think there's been so much growth in Denver? I just recently moved here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I moved here in June of last year from Chicago um, because of the mountains and I wanted to do more rock climbing. Like, that, so like it was a lifestyle was thing. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't because of like the tech boom. Um, and I was working uh, fully remote actually for the company I was working for in Chicago. Um, and then I just happened to, uh, I didn't really like working fully remote. Um, yeah. I felt very disconnected. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was looking for other opportunities and then, yeah, then I got the job at Checker and like, yeah, I had a lot more interviews uh, since moving to Denver than I even had like when I was in Chicago and interviewing. Um, there's just, yeah, a lot more. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I've, um, I mean, obviously the, it's fairly hard to find a Colorado native anymore. Yeah. Like everybody's kind of, um, but I, I have some theories as to why the tech boom in Denver is so big, but I haven't been able to really quantify it. And it's driven by companies like Checker in a big way because they hire, like they open up an office and they just hire a ton of engineers. And obviously there's like, the cost of San Francisco is just ridiculous. I think that, from the interview process, that's what I've noticed as well. A lot of the companies I was interviewing for were SF-based, and this was their second office. Right. So if there seems to be some type of spillover from SF. They've reached their capacity. They can't buy anymore. They can't build up, right? right? They, and they can't build out anymore. Right. <laughs> They're running out of space. Um, and then for some reason, Denver. I don't know. Yeah. Like, 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 I don't know what initially like kicked that off. Um, I guess it's like kind of cheaper than SF, um, but like I don't know why Denver kind of started. Somewhat of a culture match as well. Um, this is like the end of the West, almost. Okay. <laughs> it could be. I don't know. I'm a native, so of course I'm gonna justify all of that. Yeah. So you've seen all the changes. Well, yes and no. So I only have been back in Colorado for 
almost two years. No, I, okay. I would. I, I moved to the Bay Area for 18 years. So and I moved right out of college, and, and I guess my professional career came from that. And so I, I probably tied more to that than here. So I even had culture shock moving back. It's kind of a, a bizarre thing. So. Um, what are you most excited about in the tech world these days? Um, there doesn't really seem to be like a cap for learning. Like, oh, that's I think absolutely that's just like true. I feel thing. every PI we do, every tech meeting, every time I spend time with engineers, I usually walk away like, how the hell am I here? I don't know anything. <laughs> and I'm less technical than you. And yeah. so it's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, yeah, always ever evolving, changing, um, so much to learn. And yeah, I think that's what really like keeps me in. So you came from the DBA world. I just learned a new term, which apparently came from the database world, which I've never heard before, but it's now used in distributed tracing called cardinality. And I've been having, it's a very kind of difficult concept to wrap your brain around. I could associate it most with, in the physics world, there's entropy. So it's like um, the number of possible permutations of metrics and metadata, essentially. Okay. And I think in the database world, it, it essentially correlated to the number of schemas you had and the relationship between those schemas. And high cardinality meant that you could capture more of those um, interdependencies. Okay. I don't know. I, I yeah, have no it clue. Sounds good. I, I was, so I was, yeah, I was a DBA for just a little over a year. So yeah, I've been in the tech industry now for uh, almost three years. And every year I've switched jobs. <laughs> That is learning, like that is crash course. <laughs> so um, yeah, I didn't go too deep into the DBA, um, like car like that's something new that I um, didn't have yeah, much experience with. Yeah, this is like with. old school, but now it's come okay. back. Okay. <laughs> um, when I got my computer science degree, it was all relational databases and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't even learn it in my comp sci degree. Um, and sometimes I feel like the terminology is weaponized. Like in the world of physics, they do this as well. Like if you don't know the term, you're not allowed into the club, which is ridiculous. Um, and I don't know, some of it intentional, some of it not. But what got you into tech? So I started working um, straight out of high school at a company that processed medical records. And my job was to manually sort the medical records. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like EOBs and PICFAs and all that kind of stuff? Not familiar. So those are on the insurance side. Okay. These were like medical record claims for like, let's say you go to the doctor and have some labs done and you get a prescription that's all in like a, let's say 100 page medical record. It's pretty unnecessary. And in this record from your visit will be, um, like the first page will be called like a face sheet and it'll be your name, your date of birth and like all the generic information and then your insurance plan, all that. And then it'll have pages of just images of your labs and then pages of nursing notes, any notes that the nurse had to say about your labs. 
Um, and it's just really, they're typically really large. Anywhere from like 100 to like almost 3,000 pages. <laughs> um, sorting those. Yeah, so we would start actually with opening up mail. Like we would get physical medical records in the Paper mail. Cards. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I'd spend like two or three hours like standing up, opening mail, and then they'd get scanned into a system. Um, or then they get scanned and they'd be uploaded into our um, homegrown application called eScan. Um, and yeah, so the next they'd be uploaded and then we'd have to sort the medical records based on the image that we would see into 10 different categories. So like the nursing notes, prescriptions, labs, face sheets, um, all that information. Um, but I guess like what really interested, like since I didn't really enjoy doing that type of work, I was more interested in like how the application was built. Um, so I started like kind of talking with the IT team and kind of just like, I was just curious on like how they built this application and got more interested into um, programming and kind of did some programming on the side on my own a little bit every day and yeah, just like talking with the IT team about like how they built this, why they built it, and like throwing suggestions of like how they can make it better. Um, so I guess it kind of maybe ties into like uh, text recognition, like based on what you can see from uh, what's on the page, automatically sort it. Or if there's a question, like we'd only be sorting those that are questionable as opposed to sorting everything. Um, That's a hard problem, by the way. I was yeah. a developer. I was an OCR developer. That was my first job as a developer. Okay. And when I learned that I really sucked at it. So that was the core um, optical character recognition. Mm -hmm. And then the layer above that you're talking about, like the intelligence. Yeah. To that match. Is so, yeah. Like yeah. you could do it with free text, but it gets super tricky very fast. Yeah. Or like, I don't know, if you detect... 10 words that are keywords right. for this, then yeah. you can't just use one word, right? Because one word can be yeah. in many different categories. Yeah. I think there's a custom, uh, company in Boston, Athena Health, okay. that spent some time trying to build that. But uh, yeah, it's yeah. a crazy complex problem. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I was just interested in that. And then, like, um, we also had, like, electronic medical records as well coming in and then like stuff coming oh, in through yeah. CDs that were encrypted so we had to like decrypt them. So it was also like, I was interested in like the process as well, like this scanning, opening up mail process takes at least two or three days longer than the CDs and then like the, the ones that come to, to us electronically are like pretty instantaneous. Right. Um, and then now I think it's definitely come a long way where most records are um, EMRs, electronic yeah. medical records. But the issue still is, is that um, there's no template that every exactly. company uses. So you're constantly, like that sorting still needs to take place for the auditors so that they know what to right. look or for. Or underwriters. So I'm getting, I'm getting a new life insurance policy right now, yeah. going through all of the same stuff. So they do a phone interview, where they have all their notes, mm -hmm. then they get your medical record, and they have to align that with something in their system. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely kind of chaos. I think at one point there was an initiative to create an open standard around that, but I don't think it ever took off. Yeah, I mean, every company has their own thing. They enjoy using their own thing that they use. They're, right. they're not really open. Like, what is the benefit to them? 
And I think that's where the issue is. And it's like, you could create a template and then sell it, but like, who would buy that when they have their own thing and it's working for them and they don't care about the next steps. Yeah. They just care about like, we're making this record, that's your problem kind of thing. Yeah. So you really kind of naturally had an aptitude towards an interest towards that. And yes. then you went through Udacity? So yeah, yeah, I did uh, the Udacity Data Analytics Nano Degree program. Okay. Uh, but I didn't finish. <laughs> uh, I ran out of money, <laughs> so I had yeah. It was it was a tough time. I had like quit my job and dropped out of school, um, and just kind of wanted to just learn what I wanted to learn, right. and just not just have like more clarity in my day. Uh, I was working as a waitress and going to school, and I didn't have any time off. And I just didn't feel like I was being really present in my classes and just felt really burnt out. Yeah. Um, and the system isn't made to be affordable, yeah. is what I learned. So um, yeah, I just didn't really see like that really working out. And I knew I wanted to do uh, computer engineering. That's what I was majoring in. Um, but I did, did it part-time while working full-time for about two and a half years and then I just dropped all of it and realized I was learning more on my own and through meetups and yeah and then I wanted to do this Udacity program so I saved up some money um, and then I went through with that but then I actually got the job at TransUnion before I'd finished the program and I didn't have any money left <laughs> so I had to drop out last minute <laughs> but I definitely learned a lot from that program I primarily use like Jupyter Notebooks and uh, programmed in in Python to create data visualizations with like open source code. Um, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That I mean, it's great to see that people are able to roll their own and get <laughs> into industry. Yeah. Because as I was saying before, I got a computer science degree. I went and immediately became a developer. Mm -hmm. But the computer science degree didn't set me up for that at all. Yeah. Like, I knew theory really, really well, mm -hmm. but to apply that, because there's a lot that is just like nitty gritty, it takes a lot of grit mm -hmm. just to do in the development world. I didn't learn any of that, nor did I have patience for it because I had a computer science degree, so I thought I got it was better than that yeah. for some reason. <laughs> um, but I know better now, and the people that just learn it, out of a strong interest come out better developers and engineers, I think, yeah. a lot of times. Yeah. yeah, I know quite a few people um, at Checker that don't have degrees and are managers or just like doing really well. And it just doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, and there's yeah. great programs like in Denver, the Turing School mm -hmm. and so forth. I've, I've been able to interview a few students from the Turing School, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I have a friend that actually just graduated from that. Yeah? Yeah, so he's been trying to get me to get him a job at Checker. <laughs> um, yeah, he's, he did the developer uh, okay. program at Turing. And yeah, he really enjoyed it because well, he had a degree in, I think it was either, either business or accounting. Mm -hmm. um, and then realized that he wanted to do more with like programming and development and did this in addition to his degree. Uh, but he's, he's still looking for a job, but he definitely enjoyed the program a lot like definitely got a lot of it because you're actually it's like you're doing mini sessions of what you'd be doing for actual work so it's a lot more applicable than typical traditional four-year degree schooling yeah so. yeah and it's yeah. it's more getting to like um, 
what's it called? Vocational, you know, very tactical schooling. I struggle with that with my girls, um, especially with how the public schooling system. Anyway, so that's a whole. That's a whole other thing that I should just do a self podcast on. Um, so, all right, I well, I want to finish out with throwing some terms at you. I said earlier that our industry sometimes weaponizes terms. There's okay. no right or wrong answer. <laughs> just okay. want to get your opinion on them. I've been doing it at the end of the last few episodes, and it's kind of fun. Um, so first one is AI ops. AI ops. You can give your impression, definition, whatever you whatever you want to say about that term. Okay. Um, like artificial intelligence operations. I'm not too familiar with it. <laughs> um, I don't think I've read like an article. On, Even the people who like, use the in, term are familiar terms. with it. Yeah. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, operations that have to do with. Um, AI, so like something um, in conjunction with like machine learning, but to the point where the technology can run on its own. Yeah. Um, like you've trained it so well, it can kick itself off and yeah. execute whatever. I think it needs to do. when today, what it comes down to, like the tactical value today, is that you have a runbook system knows when to run the run book on its own yeah. um, and do some of the predictive stuff that you were talking about like see the disk space filling up yeah. and fix it yeah. that's a very clear tactical thing it's not yeah. fairy dust or that yeah. the marketing people want us to believe um, observability um. Yeah, so like pretty much what I'm doing, <laughs> like <laughs> gathering insights into your production system so that you, when you, because like, yeah, if you do have a problem, you can easily identify like where that problem is um, and you can see like when, uh, when things are changing, like what is normal, what is not. Um, do you use the term observability internally? I think we typically say monitoring, but like monitoring and observability kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, um, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the other one that I particularly like, GitOps. Okay. So yeah, like with using GitLab. Yeah, well, yeah, repo-centric mm -hmm. operations, but there's two clear definitions that I've heard. One is the infrastructure's code definition, which is um, you script everything, mm -hmm. you store it in a repo, you version it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and then the repo is also used then to deploy it. The other definition is literally the operations of Git. Like um, okay. how, and I think the, the latter is the one that's stuck as the official definition, but that's the problem with all of these is like, yeah. we all try to interpret what it means because yeah. nobody actually gives us a really good definition. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of just expect you to, oh yeah, I do that or no, you know, whatever. No, the same right. definition that you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I see yeah, how GitOps could be considered like both of those terms that you, or both those definitions that you mentioned, like yeah. GitOps, like IAC, and then. Right. Um, yeah, with like GitLab. Because I've also heard for AI ops, if you're a data, some data scientists believe AI ops means the operations around building AI. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that that makes sense too, right? 
the operations Wonky. of yeah, like building um, a system that can do the machine learning for what your what your end goal is for AI, right? The building up to it, right? Building the foundations, the operations behind that. Yeah, I guess you know, those are all <laughs> unclear but clear. <laughs> now you have to go back to work, and you have to just <laughs> blindly throw this at all your coworkers and yeah. just say, "All right, we're doing AI ops now." Yeah, and just expect them to know. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time. Thanks for inviting me to Improper City. It doesn't seem too improper to me. Congratulations yeah. on your role. Thanks. All the exciting things you do. I actually really would like to do a follow up at some point to see. Yeah. You know how that's evolved because it is yeah. so new. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Thanks.